The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a film critic for The Rap and IGN and criticallyacclaimed.net. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I'm the other guy. You sure are. Uh-huh. You also write for IGN and critically I also write for yeah. IGN and critically acclaimed.net. I just wrote, wrote a new review for critically acclaimed.net today, uh-huh. which of... was, was an assignment from a Patreon subscriber. That's right. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you can assign us stuff in addition to getting bonus podcasts mm-hmm. and the like. What, what was the assignment? The assignment was for a trauma film from the mid-2000s called Yeti, A Love Story. Was it uh, a compelling love story? Did you, did you feel um, things? Well... I I'm uh, I'm an old man, so I don't really feel anymore. Like yeah. my emotions are just sort of gone. That's part of your uh, appeal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I did feel a lot of contempt oh. while I was watching Yeti Love Story. Okay, it, it, it's a trauma film. It was made for literally two hundred dollars. They shot it over five days, and it felt like they made a lot of it up as they were going along. You're telling me that this Yeti story was made up. Uh, that is, it was improvised rather than scripted. Uh, there were car- a lot of cheap rubber masks and a lot of weird homophobic humor, which oh, that's might have been a, an attempt to sort of take the edge off of homophobic humor. It was hard to tell. Well, that- but I wrote it. I wrote it all. Wrote all about it in my review of Yeti: A Love Story. And I we ha- I have uh, several assignments ahead of me, and I look forward to receiving more. I have more. I have a lot I have to get to, actually, including some for Halloween, which I really want to go One that actually even kind of relates to what we're talking about today. We were supposed to review Kolchak the Night Stalker today. That's right. Uh, Kolchak the Night Stalker, it turns out, is really long. Well, Kolchak the Night Stalker debuted in 1974, back when there were fewer commercials on TV. Yep. <laughs> so 20 full episodes of Kolchak the Night Stalker. Plus two TV. TV Plus movies two that kicked full, it all off. Full-length TV movies. Um, that's longer than an hour. Like, that's an hour program, but it's longer than an hour show today. Yeah. So An hour show us, today is 44 minutes. So it took us a lot longer to get through mm. Kolchak. We're still working on Kolchak, but we didn't want to make you wait. We've had too many delays lately on the podcast, mm. and we figured, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll bump Kolchak to Halloween week. Makes sense. Mm. Everyone's going to have a good time. And instead, we're going to do a failed pilot that I have been meaning to get to for forever. (laughs) And Whitney? Yes? Which pilot are we reviewing? Exactly. Ah, it's the Elvira show. That's right. Cassandra Peterson, Elvira herself, 
had a failed... Actually, he had a couple of failed pilots. There was one that was for a reality TV series that was about the search for the next Elvira. Well, Cassandra Peterson, I think, wanted to retire the mm-hmm. doing Elvira, but she didn't want to retire the Elvira character. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, she decided to hold auditions. And I think somebody did win, but uh, the show wasn't popular enough and that person never actually became Elvira. Or maybe they still will in some point when I, Cassandra Peterson finally does retire. I don't honestly know. Oh, wait, that was like a whole series. There are four episodes of that series. Mm. Eventually we get to that. This is a sitcom mm. that Elvira starred in in 1993 called The Elvira Show. And because it's a failed pilot, we don't have a clip or a commercial. Uh, which is uh, which is a pity. It is a pity. Maybe you can pluck out like one of your favorite lines of dialogue. Uh, one, oh. I wrote down a bunch. <laughs> well... Uh, just to put Elvira into some context, uh, Cassandra Peterson came up with the Elvira character, clearly inspired by Vampira and other TV hosts that preceded her. Yeah, there's a long history of TV hosts, people who would come on TV, often local television. They just had the rights to movies. They would air movies mm-hmm. late at night. And in order to truss it up and make it a little bit more special, they would have someone introduce the movies. And for late night horror movies, they would sometimes have people who would dress up as creepy people mm-hmm. like Sven Gulli, I think is still working today. Yes, uh, uh, Vampira was a very uh, uh, attractive lady vampire character who introduced horror movies back in the fifties, mm-hmm. and uh, in that great John, tradition, John Zacherly, who passed passed away at like the age of ninety six, he, he very he recently went, went along for a long time. Yes, that guy. Zacherly might have, was one of the first. Zacherly yeah, was very yeah, influential, yeah. Um, and Cassandra Peterson came along in. the was it the late 70s or early 80s? It was like the early 80s. And yeah. she was part of that um, Groundlings school, mm-hmm. or Second City school. It was either Second City or Groundlings, uh, where their, sort of, their approach to comedy was to create a funny character and that, by extension, that character would be funny in any scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also where Pee Wee Herman came from. Uh, it's uh, you watch Saturday Night Live. That's kind of the approach to every sketch in Saturday Night Live. Let's create one weird fictional character, and then we can just put them in any scenario, and comedy ensues. Yeah, it's kind of a hack way of making a character, but it's created some really indelible people, like Elvira. Yeah, the original idea was so the uh, uh, Larry Vincent mm-hmm. uh, was Sinister Seymour, and he hosted a Los Angeles based horror show mm-hmm. um, he passed away and they wanted to continue the show but they needed a new host uh, there was some talk about bringing back Vampira uh, that didn't work <laughs> and so they created someone quite a bit like it uh, Cassandra Peterson came along uh, and apparently this is what I heard I don't know how true this is but she originally wanted to do a character based off of Sharon Tate's character in The Fearless Vampire Killers <laughs> Okay, and when that didn't work out she created this newfangled kind of punk version mm. of Vampira. She's she wears the classic sexy black gown. She's got a somewhat of a, of a bouffant hairdo. It's way more revealing now though. Oh absolutely. And but she, it's it's and she has sort of like a giant Joan Jet hairdo and like big yeah, sort of new wave eye makeup. Yeah, and but she was Occasionally, she does a sort of like a oh, welcome to Elvira's uh, mm. theater. But she was actually very approachable and funny she, she and was, very sexy and very was, aware of yeah. her own sexiness and turned that into a, a mechanism for a lot of humor. Mm. She, she was warm. Uh, the, the The best word to describe Elvira is cheeky. Yeah, that's she, a good she, way to put she, it. Uh, she put up forth a lot of like horrendously insufferable double entendres and puns. That were part of the character, you know, but by design they were insufferable. And 
one of the central appealing aspects of the character is not just that she's aware of her sexiness, but she is able to sell and celebrate the female gaze more than any other comedian, I think. Well, she owns her sexuality. Mm-hmm. She knows she's sexy, but her sexiness is hers. Yeah. She, she gets to she gets to use it however she it's wants. It's never for the benefit of the people looking at her. Yep. And the she, people she, never make jokes at her expense. People don't say things about her body. She's the one who makes all the jokes about other people's body or her own body. Yeah, and if and if she's and if in mm-hmm. various uh, narratives or sketches or the couple of movies that she's done, if she's attracted to a person, she's very forward with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. And if she's not, and anyone tries to sexualize her, she doesn't. She has none of it. Mm-hmm. She's very. She's a very. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? She's just this very confident, likable character. She's very amiable. She's got this sort of mm. valley girl accent. Um, but, but she's but she's also a bit of a weirdo outsider because she's essentially she's a witch. She's a monster. Yeah, and she lives in haunted houses and tools around with werewolves and vampires and all the rest. Yeah, she's basically the most likable version of a monster you've mm. ever seen and <laughs> she's a delight and i love cassandra peterson i think cassandra peterson has a very old school vaudevillian sense of humor she yeah. knows she's got a very distinct character and she knows how, what that character is good at and how to deliver great comedy punchlines in that character and it's the kind of character where you can tell the worst kind of joke and get away with it. You can tell the <laughs> well, lamest she, pun in the world and you can get away with it because her, she's she's nice. Her her lame sense of humor again, it was one of her selling points. She always prided Elvira on on how cheap it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there was never a like there's theatricality to the character of course because she's Elvira, but there was never any sense of portent or seriousness to the character. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so when whenever she was asked to make a joke, it was never something that was really carefully constructed. It was always the cheapest possible laugh. Yeah. And I remember uh, I, I read an interview with Cassandra Peterson about sort of marketing the Elvira character, because marketing the character has become a big part of the character. Yeah. And, and you know, Elvira press on nails and Elvira, you know, putting putting the Elvira brand on a lot of stuff. Elvira is, comic books, and, Elvira and everything, yeah. That sort of willingness to sell out is also folded into the character because she'll actually talk about, like, wanting to be a big celebrity as as Elvira. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was approached once by, I think it was, it was like Mac or some really high-profile makeup line mm-hmm. for a line of Elvira makeup. This was, like, decades into her career. It's like, well, Elvira's an institution. We want to be able to use your image and market this, like, really nice line of, of cosmetics. Mm-hmm. We can have sort of the foundation and the black lipstick, and it's going to be really, really classy. And C- Cassandra Peterson listened to their whole pitch and said, you don't understand Elvira. I don't want... You know, a fifty-dollar tube of lipstick with the Elvira name on it. I want you to be able to rip open a blister package. And she even she even said this. I need to be able to smell the drugstore on Elvira Cosmetics. <laughs> I um, so, so she knows exactly what kind of brand she's wielding. I remember my very first San Diego Comic Con back when I was just a fan. I was like, oh. it was my first year of college, <laughs> and I was I was doing like the fan thing, and one person I was really excited to see was Elvira. Okay, and Elvira, well, yeah, El- she's, a, she's a legend. She's yeah. a legend. She's wonderful. She's she's somewhat approachable at an event like that. She's mm. not like, oh my god, Elvira's doing a convention. Yes, 
<laughs> Elvira will do a convention. Yeah. You can you can find Elvira. Can, but can I take a picture with? Oh wait, you you asked first. Oh, I'm sorry. So I was a huge fan of Elvira, uh-huh. and I was very thrilled. I waited in line. I got mm-hmm. a autograph my picture okay. taken with her and then i told my parents and they were just like oh cassandra we were neighbors with her <laughs> i'm like you what you never told me you were neighbors with cassandra peters I, they're not they weren't close but they knew her to say hello that's and really like, funny i could i had an in i could have said hey you know bill and janet mm. no sorry <laughs> it's just really really funny to me um oh, you know what she's still working you she, can still run into her she is um i want to talk a little bit about um mm. the movie that she made in the 1980s she made two mm. movies one was mm. uh Re- elvira mistress of the dark elvira's haunted hills and i think she's done a third hasn't she well she's been in other movies but well, i don't I think, I think there was another of... elvira Did you do another titled elvira? film i guess elvira's haunted hills might have been the more recent one i think that was the more recent early I'm... 2000s like i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up just real fast just in mm. case uh no, those are the two Elvira movies. She's appeared as Elvira in other things, but no. Those okay. Are the two. Um, so her first movie came out in 1988. It was Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and it is great. It it is a great cult film. It's uh it's fun to watch. It is, but, <laughs> but, but it's a mess. No, no. Here's what I will say mm. about Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Uh huh. It works on every level it's trying to work on. I, I suppose you're right. And on that level, you can call it a four-star, three-star movie mm. if you must. My philosophy is some movies are only trying to be so good, but mm. they succeed so well that you can never say they could be better. Okay. So they might as well be four-star movies. This is a four-star, three-star movie. Mm. Um, Elvira, play, playing herself, she's, she's uh, uh, driving across the country to a gig... The car breaks down in Podunk, nowhere, and she has to. Oh wait, no, she's going to get. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm mis- I'm misremembering this. Mm-hmm. Her aunt dies. Oh, yeah, she inherits a home. She inherits a house in this mm-hmm. town. I'm thinking of something else. She ends up going to somewhere else. I'm I'm totally wrong about this. It does open with her career being uh, a problem. Uh, she she inherits a house and she inherits a magic cookbook. Uh, full of real-life spells. Uh, and that, of course, leads to a huge battle with a warlock at the end. But for the most part, it's just her suffering this really conservative town that doesn't want anything to do mm. with her. The, well, a the, bunch the, of young kids is, find her really empowering and love her taste in movies. And The, the villain is played by the, the immortal Edie McClurg. Uh, yes. Uh, there's a, a scene where Elvira, I think she accidentally puts a lust potion in like a local bake sale. Oh and all, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of the, yeah. the local biddies eat the lust potion, and you get to hear Aidy McClurg like she chows down on this giant meatball, licks her lips, and says, "Wow, I'm a little hornball." <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's it's funny mm. on its own terms, and it is a great star vehicle for Cassandra mm. Peterson because she just dominates the entire film. She now, does everything well, she needs to do in that film. Your mileage is going to vary depending on your tolerance for puns. Because, as we said, that's her stock and trade, the cheapest possible joke. Yep. If you hate cheap jokes... You probably hate Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. If you hate because cheap, that's all it is. And if you love cheap jokes, uh. you're me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. Um, many years later, uh, she uh, in 2001, she's about well, 13 years later. She starred in a film called Elvira's Haunted Hills, which is basically an old dark house movie, but mm. with Elvira. I only saw it the once when it came out. It's cute. 
It's not as good as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. It, no, it's, it it's looks cheaper. a lot cheaper. Yeah. It's supposed to look cheaper because it's, you know, it's that kind of cheap movie. It's basically Elvira in an Elvira hosted movie, oh, there um, you go. which is cute. And it's 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 likable enough. And if you like Elvira, it's fine. But it's nowhere near as good as Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. The reason why it's really important to think about Elvira, Mistress of the Dark is that's the template that they adopted for the Elvira show. It's mm. Elvira. Uh, and her in, in a suburban setting. In a suburban setting, a more conservative suburban setting. It's Manhattan, Kansas, which I didn't know was a thing. Mm. Uh, turns out it is. Um, and uh, she is staying with her aunt Minerva, played by Catherine Helmond. Mm. Uh, Catherine Helmond, who was Jessica in Soap, so she's wonderful. You might remember her from Brazil or Who's the Boss. She was the Mrs. Ogre in Time Bandits. She's very funny. <laughs> um, they are both like witches, it. and they're living in a conservative town, and they're trying to hide their witchery. Mm. That's and, it. That's and, it. And, and, and I guess the, the premise of the show is... A, a niece of theirs, a teenage girl, moves in, mm-hmm. and she's uh, you know really straight laced, buttoned down, repressed young woman who uh, will not ever break the rules. Yeah, and she has to discover her witchiness, and I guess that was supposed to be the premise of of the series moving forward. Basically, it's Sabrina the teenage witch. If the focus was on Sabrina's aunts, and both her aunts were really horny. Like that's that's the plot. They even have a talking black cat. I mean, yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch existed before Elvira, at least as a comic book series. Mm. Um, the TV series came out later, uh, but it, it seems to have taken a lot of its cues from this. Oh, absolutely. Because you know the the talking black cat, the, the the talking black cat in this one, who is named Renfield. Renfield. Uh, is sort of this, well, he's catty. That's the joke. <laughs> That's the, one of the first things Elvira says to him is, don't be catty. Mm. And there wasn't even like a laugh track giggle at that, but I laughed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thank you, Elvira. So he, he makes a lot of really horrible jokes. He's so, this, he, one, one double entendre, which I was surprised they even tried to get on network TV about uh, going blind. Oh, yeah. There's, a, a, there's a masturbation joke in there. Oh, there's, there's a bunch of really, really naughty jokes. There's mm. this one weird joke. Uh, okay, so looking down um, all the jokes you wrote I, I, down. I wrote down all my favorite jokes, mm. and one of them was was really was really funny because Renfield is the person who makes the extra joke. Someone yeah. says something, someone sets up a joke, and then you cut to the cat, and the cat well, says the punchline. Th- that's, it's the Garfield approach. I mean, yeah. John's life is boring, but we have Garfield to give color commentary. Okay. So, yeah. The irony, of course, is that Elvira's life is anything but boring, and right. we kind of don't need the cat. Elvira's making her own jokes. But there's what would happen well, is... But, but they would... we, we do need to look at Elvira objectively, because we need... We need to make sure that her dumb jokes, like the show knows they're dumb. Yeah. They're not trying to sell the dumb jokes. But what's interesting is that even in this pilot episode, mm-hmm. the show got a little like, I think I think the, the either the live studio audience or the person in charge of queuing up the laugh track got a little ahead of the jokes. Because mm-hmm. there's a point in the film where Elvira has a crush on this guy named the, Chip. The, the pilot, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about the plot in a second. But the joke I want to talk about is Elvira has a crush on this hunky guy named Chip. Mm-hmm. And there's a love potion and it goes awry and it turns him into a mannequin. Yeah. Uh, at which point... Uh, uh, Elvira yells, gosh, he's hard as a rock. Mm. And then there's a bit of a laugh and then it cuts to Renfield mm. and they have to wait for the first laugh to subside mm. for Renfield to say, isn't that the point? I'm like, you didn't even need him to say anything. You just <laughs> like, cut to the cat and we know what the mm. cat's going to say. There's uh, I, I was in a production uh, in college of um, complete works of Shakespeare abridged and there's a joke. 
there's a joke late in the show where they quote Shakespeare and they say he was about it was about to speak when the cock crew, which is from Hamlet. Yeah. And at that point in the show, there have been so many like dirty jokes and double entendres that they just say it was about to speak when the cock crew. And in in the script, they say, you know, try to sell that as a laugh line, but they understand they don't need to anymore at that yeah. point. So they just say it was about to speak when the cock crew and it's a comedy line. Same with Elvira. She makes like she says the word stiff. Mm-hmm. You already know she's talking about boners. We, you don't need to imply that it's a boner anymore. The the, the jokes kind of write themselves pretty pretty quick. Like, like you already you know what the punchline is before somebody accentuates it. Um, so rounding out the cast, so we've we've already talked about Elvira's Aunt Minerva. Mm-hmm. Uh, their niece Paige is played by Phoebe Augustine, who is best known for playing Renette Pulaski in Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. The other victim uh, at the beginning of the series. Everyone talks about Laura Palmer, but mm-hmm. Renette was the one in the coma. Uh, for the first part of the show. I barely remember that. Well, she's not in the show much. She's in a coma mm. for most of it. Oh, okay. Um, what's funny is that apparently the role was down to either Phoebe Augustine or, mm. a, young, or a young unknown actor named Hilary Swank. <laughs> and apparently like 10 years later, uh-huh. Cassandra Peterson ran into Hilary Swank at a gym okay. and, and recognized her and said, hey, you were really good in that pilot. Are you still acting? And Hilary Swank's like, yeah, I just won an Oscar. <laughs> What an Academy Award. What do you think of that? <laughs> Which is pretty great. Um, let's see. We got here. Uh, the We have a cop named Chip. He's played by an actor named Ted Henning. Um, who was just he, around. He, uh, he's, and he's clearly the guest star. Like, I don't think he was going to be a regular on the show. He was the stud of the week. I'm not entirely sure because the uh, his boss mm. uh, is played by a great actor named Christine Rose. Uh, and she was going to be a regular on the I show. I guarantee you yeah. she was going to be a regular on the show. At least she should have been. Um, she was on the TV show Heroes. Um, I think she was on Star Trek. She was on NCIS. Um, and her whole deal is she is the chief of police. She is sexually jealous of Elvira because she has a crush on Chip, and Chip only has eyes for Elvira. Mm. Chip is an undercover cop trying to expose Elvira's fake psychic ring. Um, Turns out they're real witches, though, and they actually have, like, witchery stuff. So uh, that's the joke. But clearly the gag was going to be that every week, or at Mm. least it should have been, every week, uh, she was going to try to expose Elvira, and Elvira would expose herself. The jokes write themselves. Oh Thank God. you, Elvira. Um, <laughs> ah, it's so great. Um, and then, occasionally, though, it's it's not just like double entendres. Occasionally, it's just outright sex humor. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and like one of my favorite favorite lines was uh, opportunity. Opportunity only gives you knockers once. Yeah, that's not um, even a double entendre. No, she's just, talk, just talking about her boobs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then finally, rounding out the cast as the voice of Renfield is John Paragon. Uh, John Paragon was Jombie and Terry in Pee-wee's Playhouse. That's right. He was also the voice of the heavy breather on Elvira's um, movie Macabre. Oh, okay. He would call in, mm. and he would be like the, the weird pervert on the phone, and he would like so, set up a joke for Elvira. Friends going way back. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, El- El- Elvira and Pee-wee Herman did hang out. Like, oh, sure. Cassandra Peterson and Paul Rubens were buddies. Uh, the, the, f- st- uh, the script was written by uh, Annie Beats, B-A... B-E-A-T-T-S. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, She wrote a lot of SNL. She wrote uh, Square Pegs, another uh, famous Cancel Too Soon show we'll eventually get to. Um, And it was co-written by John Paragon and Cassandra Peterson. Because they know their shtick. (laughs) They know Mm. their shtick. Um, And their shtick is everywhere. It's a very shticky show. Mm. 
Um, so yeah, the plot, it opens with Elvira is uh, working as a psychic. And a woman comes in, and she she's 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 lovelorn. She's looking for someone to love. And there's this funny bit where Elvira's like over a, a crystal ball, and she was like, "Oh, you're 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 looking for love. Do you know anyone named Bill? No. Bob? No. Jack? No. Mike? No. You don't know anyone named Mike. <laughs> like she's mad now <laughs> that her guesses didn't work. And um, and the, the implication is she's a real witch." And she dresses like a witch, and every, and they have actual magic powers, but they're still frauds. <laughs> it's kind of odd. Yeah, she's not actually selling a real love potion. Yeah, like she's a real witch, well, but she doesn't. She can't do what people ask of her, so she has to fake it. And yet, well, actually, but it's weird though because it seems like she's going to be a fraud, but mm. in actuality, she expects the love potion to work on Chip later in the show. Yeah. So maybe she's not. I think she's just lazy. I think when somebody comes in, she doesn't want to do the hard work for them, and it's easier just to pretend. But when sense. she wants it for herself, she's more motivated. Uh, so, Which makes her more appealing. So she sells the lady a love potion, and she says you have to drink the potion and then dance naked around a candle. Mm. Great! <laughs> I guess. And then uh, we cut to the next scene. Uh, Aunt Minerva comes back, and she's enchanted a shopping cart to she's like follow her home. Floating a shopping cart. And, of course, Elvira says, Aunt Minerva, what have I told you about exposing yourself? And she says, oh, dear, did I stick? Did I tuck my skirt into my pantyhose again? <laughs> and this is where they commiserate over. They've had to move from town to town to hide the fact that they're witches. One of the better lines is, I'm sick and tired of pulling up stakes just to keep from getting burned at one. Adorable. Get it? Mm. Uh, so they've moved to Manhattan, Kansas. <laughs> They're trying to hide their their witchiness by looking like fake witches. So I feel mm. like it's interview with a vampire, witches pretending to be humans, pretending to be witches. How avant garde! The witchy witchtoria. Um, and they just sort of talk about daily stuff. Like Aunt Minerva, like can use mm. her magic powers to switch prices at the supermarket. So she like got peanut butter for 25 cents at which point elvira says did you get my shaving cream oh i knew i forgot something great i'll just spread this on my legs and let the rats chew off the hairs <laughs> which is also not an entendre that's just a weird joke <laughs> that's just a weird it's a weird image i'm not sure i approve of that image that's a weird joke although the way she presents it i get the idea that when elvira was little like like her mom did that like you know yeah. the, those weird home remedies your parents used to do to save money let the rats eat the yeah. hair off your body yeah like she she like had a rat shaver i don't think that's a thing i think you're i think you're making that up um <laughs> just a funny image that's in my head <laughs> so this this hunky dude named chip shows up at the door she doesn't mm. know he's an undercover cop um and he wants to buy a love potion because mm. apparently the love potion made uh her previous client sick and now they're trying to catch them as frauds mm. Uh, well, it, it didn't. It didn't necessarily make her sick. It landed her in the hospital. Oh no, this, well, that's the other client. Never mind. Yeah, it landed yeah, her made, her, made her sick. Yeah, made her sick. Mm. So Chip is trying to buy some, and Elvira is throwing herself. Oh yeah, at Chip just. Breasts throwing first. herself, yeah, breasts akimbo. <laughs> like how he's like, how much is a love potion? And she's like, I don't know. How about I lip wrestle you for it? And she does these amazing lip gymnastics, like she's just putting herself right in front of his face and then just moving her lips every which way as if she was getting ready for something. And I don't even know what it could possibly be. And, and I'd like to pause here and Please. say that all of the ways that she sort of throws herself herself at him and the way she talks about him. You know, we talked about how the joke is never her expense, that she makes the jokes about her own body mm. and it's all about her sexuality. 
I don't think I've ever seen a comedy that celebrates female arousal the same way that Elvira does. And it's, in, and it's like that way in the mm. movie, too. When she's attracted yeah. to someone, it's her sexuality. She will give it freely, and she's mm. very happy to, and she enjoys being sexual and being attractive. And, and it's seen as something that's, that's you know, comedic, but not... An object of mockery. It's, no, she's it's her own it's her own thing. And even when she like and she, has a, she's and she's but she's making a fool of herself mm. the same way like a, a horny teenage boy would in another comedy. Yeah, and it's so rare that female arousal is not eroticized. Well, there's there's a there's a character mm. um, there's a comedy character who shows up in a lot of mostly bad comedies mm. of the woman who throws herself at a man, but the man isn't interested. Yeah, and, and um, she's she's quote ugly in some way. Yeah. It, 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 exactly, and Elvira has that shtick, but the irony is she's gorgeous, she looks and like available, Elvira, yeah. and she's <laughs> likable, and she's wonderful. Mm. But something always gets in her way. Mm. Like that's Cir- the circumstances get in her way. Yeah, exactly. So like, so uh, what happens is Paige knocks on the door, interrupting Elvira in the midst of her sexcapades, mm. and Elvira opens the door and sees her, and she's wearing like a Catholic schoolgirl outfit, and she was just like, uh, Thin Mints, I'll get some Thin Mints, closes the door, <laughs> where were we? And then, then there's a knock again, I thought I paid after I got the cookies, closes the door, and, and he was like, you seem busy, and she says, uh, what was it? I wrote it down, busy, whatever gave you that idea, I'm completely free, at least for the first three minutes. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Uh, finally, uh, Paige announces that she's her niece. Mm. Aunt Minerva's very excited. Um, Aunt Minerva has a great line. Oh my, how you've grown. But you've never seen me before. Well, I assume you used to be smaller. <laughs> which is a funny joke. Yeah, that's a funny joke. <laughs> um, I, it, this is one of those rare sitcoms where you're actually, like, laughing a lot. I laughed a lot at this sitcom. I, la- I mean, the, all the jokes are, like, kind of hammy. Mm-hmm. But the delivery is very special. Everyone knows their job. Everyone knows mm-hmm. this kind of humor. This kind of, like, classic threes mm-hmm. company mm-hmm. kind of... Yeah. Just raucous setup payoff humor. Ask me the secret of comedy. What's the secret? Timing. <laughs> such an ass. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's such a great joke. I'm glad, a, I could, I'm glad I could help. That, that's, that's, that's vaudeville level humor. But that's that goes point. way back. This feels yeah. like vaudeville. Mm. This feels like like some kind of weird, sexy Laurel and Hardy routine. Like, mm. it's really great. Um, so they're trying to get a bead on Paige. Who's mm. this new person and she's staying with them and I guess that's the way it's going to be now. And Paige is like her her uncle who was Elvira's brother or her father was Elvira's brother. Her mm. father died. She's been raised by nuns mm. and her idea of a good time is cleaning. And Elvira's just like, <laughs> well, it's going to be a nonstop party for you around here. And uh, but, but they it, can't tell if she's gonna be a witch or not. Well, it's it's revealed a, like a few scenes later that she can hear Renfield and only mm. witches. Can, and she thought that was just a thing people could do. Yeah, that's the twist. But mm. at first, they they don't know. And there's a really really funny bit uh, where they're trying to hide that they're witches, but also tell if Paige is a witch. Mm. They don't want to just come out and say that they're witches in case she's not. And so Elvira's like, okay, we have to figure this out, but we have to be real subtle about it. And Minerva says, subtle is my middle name. So, Paige, when did you consummate your union with the Incubus? (laughs) (laughs) Which is really dark if you think about it. Wait, so they they all had to to do that? that. Um, There's there's a bit where... um, they're trying to like seem uh, sort of innocuous, and Elvira's just like, "Oh, which is us? Oh no!" <laughs> and Minerva goes, <laughs> and that's also funny. And, and it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> um, what was the line about uh, putting her in the bathtub? 
Did you write down that? Oh, one? Uh, oh, 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 oh! Basically, uh, if she flo- go go up and take a bath. If she floats, she's a witch. If she drowns, she's out of our hair. Yeah, <laughs> it's a funny joke. Um, and the and the and the, the terrible puns even apply to scenes without Elvira because that's just the kind of show it is. Yeah. When we cut to the police station, uh, the the captain, superintendent, whatever, she goes to Chip and says, your job was to nail her. Mm. And he's just like, mm, yeah, I, I, I wanted to. <laughs> um, anyway, he comes back later in the day to get his love potion. She's throwing herself at him again. Uh, it's like, And he's like, oh, I want that love potion. Just take my advice. Drop her. Drop her like a hot potato, Chip. Mm. Boo! That's a good joke and you know that's a good joke. Boo! <laughs> well, it's it's uh, the goal of a good punster, somebody who crafts puns. First of all, a terrible class of people. <laughs> and by terrible, the, you mean the best. He who would pun would pick a pocket. <laughs> to quote Dr. Maturin. Um the the goal is not a laugh. You don't want to make a laugh with a pun. Mm-hmm. You you want someone to groan. You want someone to feel really uncomfortable. Well, it's not uncomfortable. If you get somebody to roll their eyes and feel disgust, <laughs> then you have succeeded. Here's the here's the art of the pun, and I love a good pun. My dad was a massive punster. Mm. The point of a pun isn't to change the way you look at the world. It's to take you off guard. Uh-huh. To make you think a sentence was going perfectly normally mm. and then throw it in a stupid direction. Uh-huh. And once you realize what they've done, mm. you're a little mad. Because, because you were actually was, engaged in the conversation. For, yeah, they, tr- they tricked you. But the thing is... by a, the, a Freudian slip is where you replace one word with a mother. Oh, that's... I haven't heard uh, yeah, there that. you go. That's, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, well done, though. It's thank funny. you, thank you. But the thing is, Elvira, when you, the more you watch Elvira, the more she trains you to just get used to it, and you just mm. don't need any more than that. Like, there's one pun she does that isn't even a pun. Okay. It doesn't go for the pun, because if they did, it wouldn't go on the air, but you don't need to, because we're on board at this point. It's after she gives him the love potion, and he turns into a mannequin, and she says, oh my god, what am I gonna do with a big, stiff cop? <laughs> and they just pause for a moment, let everyone in the audience figure that one out, and then they move on. <laughs> we're all there. So she's turned the, the cop into a mannequin. Minerva and Paige come home, and they, they have she, to lay him down and cover him up real quick, so that Paige doesn't is, will be none the wiser. And uh, there's a one of the better terrible jokes is when Elvira explains he's an undercover cop, and Minerva says, "Oh my God, you could get the chair for turning him into a table." Uh, it made me laugh. I gotta admit that one made me laugh. So what happens is so Minerva tries to uh, undo the spell, mm. but. Uh, when she says up and at him, he doesn't come back to life and start walking around. Starts levitating. He starts <laughs> levitating. And so the, he's still got this like tablecloth on him. So when Paige comes back in the room, Elvira and Minerva have to make it look like they're moving furniture and like way over their head. <laughs> and uh, Minerva, Paige is like, what are you doing? Oh, uh, oh, sorry. So they're trying to figure it out. Mm. Minerva ends up putting her hands down in a really silly way, so it's clear it's not right. Mm. Paige takes off the tablecloth and says, What is this? What are you doing? And Valor says, Well, you know how I like to pick up men. <laughs> At this point, uh, uh, Paige, has, Paige is done. She's mm. going to leave. And as she's leaving, 
uh, Renfield says something and she responds to Renfield and that's when they realize she really is a witch mm. and they try to encourage her no you're one of us this is great we're, we're all we're all weird and she's like I don't want to be weird I want to be normal and there's actually a sweet moment and a sweet line of dialogue from Elvira uh, when Paige says I hate being different she says what's wrong with being different look where it's gotten me insert pause yeah <laughs> but then she says you're the only you you have and if you're not gonna be you then who is gonna be you mm. which is a sweet line at which point Paige says who and Hilary says well I don't know I'm just trying to make you feel better <laughs> the cops show up this is a bust mm, look oh, no God. this is a bust mm-hmm. that's not a bust <laughs> Uh, they, it's not a knife, mate. Paige manages to Look, use that, her latent that, magic to fix Chip. That was it turns a joke. out that the person who was in the hospital was in a uh, hospital for unrelated reasons. Elvira's off the hook. Well, Everything's she, fine. She was in the hospital, and while in the hospital, she met the love of her life, so kind of worked. Yeah, that love potion kind of worked. She's satisfied with the transaction, mm. and that's the end of the episode, except for a little postscript in which they're all just hanging out, eating cake. Mm. Paige made them tea. And uh, and mm. Minerva says, "Oh, this is delicious. What did you put in it? Just some things I found in the pantry. <laughs> Which things? Yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I laughed so much. I don't I, think I, I've... I told you a lot of the uh... jokes. I'm not delivering them half as well as Elvira did. She's a master <laughs> comedian. She's really funny. She knows this character. She knows her delivery. Mm. She knows when to be broad. She knows when to bring it down a bit. She knows when to be a little sincere." She's and, a master. And she knows how to push the envelope with the old big stiff cops and all the rest. Yeah. Um, There's a leave I, it I to Beaver think... joke that I will not repeat here, even though it was designed for <laughs> primetime television. Guess that makes me the Beaver. Um, okay, you'll do it. I'll do it. That's the punchline anyway. Yeah. It's not funny without the setup. I, I don't think I've laughed harder at a sitcom. Um, in, at all in, in, ever because you know sitcoms were always kind of pleasant they were kind of innocuous and they mm-hmm. had a few jokes maybe there'd be a moment like where you'd really laugh um, at like maybe there was some sort of long setup like Seinfeld started doing this where they set up stuff like at the beginning and it all paid off in a big way at the end and a really unexpected yeah. way Seinfeld had a really impressive um, structure I, I was when I was a kid I watched Alf I thought Alf was funny and that you made were me wrong to think Alf was funny. well when, when you're nine Alf is funny okay <laughs> I know, I'm, and, and I'm when, kidding I'm kidding, I'm uh, kidding. Look, a, a puppet talking about eating a cat is funny especially when you're nine okay. <laughs> No, I'm, fine. I'm I'm not going to judge but, you for liking Alf. But I, I, you know, Alf tried to modulate. It tried to tell real stories. It tried to, uh, you know, bring you in on some real human drama. There was a whole human family there. Elvira has the advantage of having no real humans in it. Like there's there's the straight laced one, but she's clearly like the straight man to the comedic characters. Yeah, they have they have they have uh, uh, there's Elvira who is already a comic entity. She's got a bit of a foil in Aunt Minerva who's like. Elvira, but mm. not as socially graceful. Yeah. And then you have the one who's trying to be normal and has mm. everything explained to her. And then you have a couple of antagonists in every yeah. episode. That's a great setup for it. But that's, again, it's like Three's Company. The whole point is we have to pretend so our landlord doesn't know what we're really doing. That's a setup for every episode. Mm. You will always have good jokes off of that. There's an infinite number of setups you can do. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you can just throw a plot once in a while. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Um, this is a really solid engine 
for a broad sitcom. If they could have kept that level, like just even if they keep, hit like the jokes at that level of like, even if they e- hit seventy percent, even seventy percent of this would be a hit sitcom. If, if they really cracked the whip though, and just every single line had to be a laugh line, it, it and it wasn't exhausting because it's only a half hour show, and and they have and, an out. They're allowed to be lazy jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they really are. It's just the delivery that mm. had to be good. Mm. Um, yeah, this this could have been gold. Mm. The problem is. This was a sitcom for CBS in the early 90s. CBS, this... this And they probably wanted something a little bit more conventional. Oh, no. Apparently, they flipped the fuck out when they saw this and found out how raunchy they had made it. They were like, oh, if I was a show, maybe. And they commissioned a pilot, and then it was really sexy. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, 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 no. The year that this show would have come out, this was a 1993 pilot, Mm -hmm. was the year that they debuted The Nanny. Okay. And Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Oh, you Murder know She Wrote can, was still on the air. They had a different vibe. I can see the, like, the nanny being sort of the neutered version of this. Yeah, it's still really broad. It's a very it's a very simple setup. You have this but it, again, um, that's an, a brash Brooklynite in a very out, upper crust house. But yeah, it's one outsider character in the normal world. Mm-hmm. I guess Elvira's failing. The reason why a, a, a studio executive might not want it is that it doesn't take place in the real world. It's not Elvira moving in with a family. Mm-hmm. It's just Elvira at home. But I think that's the charm of it. I think Absolutely that's what makes this I think that's what makes this special. I think if it was just Elvira living in someone's garage, that might have been funny too. But when you have it just the Elvira show, let it be her show. Mm-hmm. She dominates because she has that much personality. We don't need any normal people. The normal people would bog this show down. Absolutely. The normal yeah. people are the antagonists in a show like this. They're either annoying or ignorant or or, uh, or, or, or saccharine or, or persecuting yeah. them in some way and that's what you want this would be a great show for outsiders and we need shows like that <laughs> especially we needed them in like the 90s mm. when like there was still this vestigial Reagan era that was telling yeah, you that just, like yeah, everything needed to be kind of quote unquote normal yeah, these, these sort of last threads of that con- conservatism that was kind of dying out in the 90s yeah so th- they balked at the sexual humor which is a shame because it's Really funny. I have seen, I have laughed maybe this much at other sitcoms, but it's pretty rare. Yeah, like this is this one just hits. Um, I this show was definitely canceled too soon. Uh, I think I'm, so. I'm really astonished that this didn't go to series, and it wouldn't have surprised me if it only lasted one season, mm-hmm. and we could have covered it anyway. Yeah, it might have been too niche. Yeah, yeah too, too niche, a little too weird, perhaps. Too hit um, for the room. You know, kids like Elvira, but this is not appropriate for kids, so they wouldn't have known how to really market Elvira. Yeah, it's like it's it's a it's a CBS sitcom, but wow, that cleavage! You know, it's yeah. uh, Elvira's central appeal, like that outfit. Her her cleavage has gotten her more work and also into more trouble than any other facet of her character. Because she's she's spoken very frankly about this. Yeah, Uh, you know, I'm I'm not just objectifying her. because, you know, the point of the character is that she's really brash and really brazen and really upfront about her sexuality. And so she just shows it off. And that's kind of what, a, like, Vampira did. She had sort of the low-cut dress. But they never really addressed it. It was just yeah. supposed sort of to be Vampira, window dressing, as it were. Vampira was, at best, droll. Yeah. Vampira wasn't really funny mm-hmm. the way that Cassandra Peterson was. The thing about Cassandra Peterson is she's got undeniable kid appeal. Mm. She's like a big kid, yeah. but she's 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 also an adult. She's like she's like a sexy 
babysitter you look up to <laughs> yeah. and you want to be, but you know it's like, probably inappropriate. Like your babysitter, like you're you're seven years old and your babysitter starts talking about like sort of in a roundabout way, the sexual problems she's having with her boyfriend, and you uh. know they're talking about sex, and that's a grown-up thing. Mm-hmm. They're being very tactful, so you don't know any of the details, but you want to know, because it's this fascinating adult well, thing, that, that, and, you're, and you don't hear it, your parents talking about they it. They handle it real well in the movie Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. She mm. goes to this small town, and, and, and there's the four, like... And all the like, 13 and 14-year-old yeah, boys fall all, in love with well, her. All her. But also all the young girls find her really fascinating as well, because mm. unlike all of the other women in their lives, they're, they're the role models that they have around them, mm. here's someone who is very confident with her sexuality, very open. Uh, with her body, mm. uh, someone who has a very distinct style that is all her own, and damn the world if they don't like it. Someone who's very funny, someone uh-huh. who likes horror movies, <laughs> and the younger women in town love her. She seems really, really great, and yet the parents want to keep that away from them because it seems really, really outre and dangerous. And I think that's just what happened with the sitcom, where it's like this would have been so appealing to everybody and yet everybody would have warned people to stay away. Mm. It would have been this horrible self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, here's, here's the thing. She's this really- should have been on Fox. Fox would have loved this. <laughs> I don't understand why they didn't just go to Fox after. Maybe they did. I don't no, know. But. Just... I maybe it was the threat of female sexuality that's scaring people off, and it's not because Elvira. We said said it twice already. Refuses to let herself be objectified, and Cassandra Peterson same. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is never eroticized from the male perspective. Mm-hmm. The camera doesn't luxuriate over her body. If they show a close up of her cleavage, it's for a joke. Yeah. It's like a, there, there's a, a scene in the Elvira show where uh, Chip is sitting next to a crystal ball. She's looking to, to the crystal ball. You'll see your future. She and says, I see big things I, I see in big, your future. And, and it's sort of like Amplif- magn- magnifying her own cleavage like from the camera angle. Yeah. And that's the joke. But that's her joke. Yeah. She's telling and that joke. So it's, yeah. I don't think it's that people are really afraid of the sort of the the arousal aspect of it you know how men are going to be watching this or young boys are going to be watching this and she's too hot for tv i think it's that she's so forthright in presenting female sexuality as something that's just this natural thing mm-hmm. that the that you can have fun with that something you can have fun with that women are in charge of that the presumably male studio executives who are used to having their females be sort of these you know, lust objects mm-hmm. are really uncomfortable with. And honestly, based on what we know about people mm-hmm. who who have been running CBS, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at yeah. all. So El- El- it's not that Elvira was too hot for prime time. It's that she's too much in charge of her own sexuality for prime time. We need she's to- a feminist figure, for God's sake, and they weren't comfortable with that. We need to have... I, I really want mm. people... I really want like a sort of a reevaluation of Elvira, because everyone loves Elvira, mm. but I don't want it to be one of those things where, you know, hopefully it's a long, long, long... Decades in the future, uh-huh. when, you know, God forbid Elvira is no longer with us. But it, I don't want to be one of those things where, like, after, you know, she's gone someday, we fully appreciate everything she did. Yeah. And everything she represented and her brilliant comic timing. She's an icon, I think, mm. for a wonderful reason. I want to appreciate her now. <laughs> so I'm going to entreat everybody. This show is available, widespread available mm. online. You can just, the yeah, it's, Elvira it's on show. Ma- many, many sources. Many, many streaming services. Mm. Watch it. 
it's really funny and it's a really good watch for Halloween. It's short. It's that kind of, it plays almost like a Halloween special a little bit. It's not set at Halloween, mm-hmm. but you know, you can just watch it. It's a done in one. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really entertaining program. And yeah, this could have gone on for a hundred episodes and it would have been great. I would have loved it. They would have started incorporating more characters, but you knew yeah. they were also going to be weird outsiders. I, like maybe there's a character in town who's also a werewolf well, or what some I, such thing. What I would have done, I think the way you keep it fresh, because you always want Elvira to be Elvira. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you bring in the occasional other relative for a few episodes just mm-hmm. to shake up the dynamic. But I think the thing you need to change is every season you change the antagonist. So, like, the first Mm. season, it's this cop who's trying to expose Elvira uh, for being a fraud. Maybe in the next episode, she gets a new neighbor who's, like, a stuck-up Mr. Wilson type. Mm. uh, And then in the next... Ms. Wilson. It it has to be women. That's a good point. You're absolutely right. It should be a woman. Uh, uh, But you got got that type. Mm. Uh, And then from there on, I don't know, she gets a new job and she has a new boss who's the new comic foil. Like, Mm. that's the thing. You have to switch up the comic foil so that she's always in different situations Mm. having to... Look a little ridiculous, but be wonderful in the process. Here's a great comic character: a blind priest. Yeah, there's a lot of who doesn't doesn't know that she's a witch and doesn't know how how buxom and attractive she is. Mm. Yeah, you could do that. And, and wants to come over and talk to her a lot because she's really friendly, but doesn't know that she's a sex witch. And there's always these constant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a, a, a very old gag. Why not? Well, why not? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, that's the mm. Elvira show. I love the Elvira show. This is my jam. <laughs> really, really funny. This is this is my jam. This is a this isn't it's, like it's, so bad. It's good. This is a good show. It, it's not like right up my alley the same way it is with you. Yeah, um, this you is know, made I'm, for me. I'm much more of a bone chillers guy. But uh. yeah. oh, I forgot to mention this. This episode was directed by Dick Boners. His, Boners with a Z. That's his real name. Yeah, you'd think that would be like a pseudonym of someone who maybe wasn't proud of the material. Nope, he directed a lot of television. Cle- clear, clearly he owned the name early on. Yep, just very, very confident. Someone, with, someone he, he would never shy away. What is your name? My name is Dick Boners, sir. Sir. <laughs> Boom. I am an, an actor and a director. Dick Boners is the name. <laughs> Here's my card. You see where it says Dick Boners? I am Dick Boners. I am Dick Boners. Well, who is it? No, it's Peter Boners. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's what, you know what? That's, you know what? That's, that's no worse. That's a lateral move. That's a lateral oh. move. You can see how I did that. Oh, sorry. Was it Peter Boners Johnson? <laughs> yeah, it was Peter Boners. He directed a lot of the Bob Newhart show. Mm. He did like ninety-three episodes of Murphy Brown. Mm. Really prolific director. I apologize for getting your name sorry, wrong. Peter Boners. Peter Boners. Uh, uh, kudos. Seriously, mm. he made a lot of great TV. So uh, they had great talent behind the show. Mm. It's a shame. It's a, it's a damn shame. Uh, that is that is that for Cancel Too Soon. Yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back next week with Kolchak the Night Stalker. We will, we're like halfway through it. We'll be done in time for Half, next Halfway week. through it. It took us all week to get halfway through, but yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we will mm. be back with Kolchak the Night Stalker. We know you're excited. We're excited because mm. it's one of the all-time most famous canceled Too Soon mm. shows. Mm, uh, yeah. Do we have uh, time for any letters? Well, we do. I'm trying to find some letters. Letters. Right, you here. can email right. us, canceledtosoon at gmail.com. Do you mm. remember watching these shows? Uh, do you have do, do you have any corrections to make? Do you have any stories to share? Uh, do you just want to tell us we suck? Just email <laughs> us. Email us, please. We'd, we'd love mm. to hear from you. Where are we uh, here is a letter from Anna. Hello, Anna. Hi, Anna. Uh, dear Cancel Too Soon, I just listened to your Almost Human episode. Okay. Uh, th- this is... 
Last March. We That was last March, but this is a, a letter from more recently. Yeah, well, that's the thing <laughs> yeah. with our show, and that's one of the things I like about what we've People done. People are going it's, back and forth and listening to older episodes. You, you can listen yeah. to older episodes. They're not mm-hmm. timely. You know, you yeah. can just explore everything. So back in March, we did a whole month that was nothing about sh- but shows about human cops who have robot partners, which mm-hmm. turns out there's a lot. Okay, I, and she corrects us on something very important in this oh, letter. But, uh, Dear Cancel Too Soon, I listened to your Almost Human episode, and you mentioned that it would work better as a video game. There has been a video game released called Detroit, colon become human yeah it's and quote androids rise against humans arc more than solve crimes in the future arc but one of the three main stories uh is a cop and an android working to find deviant androids who have quote broken their programming uh p.s you guys kept saying that almost human took place in los angeles it took place in seattle and they're Did establishing so, uh, Seattle, seattle slash vancouver she says ah. and they're establishing shots of landmarks from both cities so in the ah. future, Seattle and Vancouver kind of just scooted closer together. Well, like, remember in Demolition Man, where San Diego and Los Angeles became San Angeles and became oh, this yeah, one huge so. megacity? Which is a uh, huge fucking city. That, that's, <laughs> those, those cities are not terribly close well, together. You know what? It's like a three-hour drive. Seattle and Vancouver are... Yeah, it's about that same yeah. distance. So yeah, they're just, they're, oh, they're just this massive three-hour-long sprawl. Well, I was wrong. Um, thank you for the show was canceled too soon, but I still hope that one day it might come back and that it would work better on a streaming service like Netflix than on a channel. Uh, seeing that as they don't care about how many viewers they have, it already has a cult following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah uh, Detroit Become Human. I became aware of that. Uh, I have not played it. Um, that was a video game from David Cage, whose style is making not so much conventional video games, but interactive movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Heavy Rain. It's a little ridiculous, but when it was compelling, it was very, very much so. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't get behind Beyond Two Souls because it felt like it wasn't interactive enough. Mm-hmm. So I never got around to Detroit Become Human. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, there, there's a, there, here's the deal. It, it's a cyberpunk concept and that sort of that's been played with before. And I think video games is a really natural mm-hmm. place for it, not just because video games, uh-huh. uh, but also it can have this sort of immersive quality where you can explore this kind of world to your own satisfaction, mm-hmm. as opposed to how the the show can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of like Deus Ex Machina or Deus Ex, I think is what it's called. That's a whole series of uh, games along similar lines. Okay, yeah, you don't care. I I don't play any of these video games. I, know you I, don't. I don't I don't pay attention to video games at all. What's our next letter? Uh, this one comes from Canadian Keith. Hey, heard from Canadian Keith in a little while. Yeah, um, how you doing, Canadian hey, Keith? Hey guys, after some time off, I've been catching up on all of my favorite podcasts and finally caught up on yours. Just a couple of thoughts. Uh, One, thanks to Whitney, I was able to experience remembering something for the first time in 25 years. The moment you started describing, quote, whoopies, (laughs) the memories of a young me pulling the plastic feet and googly eyes off those cheap little fuzzy things came flooding back. It was a unique experience and made me wonder what other long forgotten memories are just waiting to be unearthed. Yeah, whoopies. They were a thing, and nobody ever talks about them anymore. Uh, Number two, a minor quibble on your recent Bone Chillers episode. You got off on a a tangent about Wesley Crusher. Uh, that you both summed up with the catchphrase, shut up, Wesley. Yeah. Uh, personally, I don't really care for that much, knowing however, knowing that you both, especially William, put greater effort in trying not to offend anyone. I felt you should be aware that Will Wheaton finds that catchphrase offensive both personally and more broadly as a dismissal of all young voices. He wrote a blog post about it, and he puts a, a link to the blog post. You know what? That's fair. Mm-hmm. I, if Will Wheaton is listening, I kind of doubt it, but kinda if he is, it, I, yeah. I do apologize. We obviously mm-hmm. didn't mean to offend you we were quoting a a show but mm-hmm. um that's a fair point 
That's a fair point. I don't think we were trying to use it in that context, but if you're offended, we apologize. No, we we were playing into the the cliched perception of the character of Wesley Crusher as an obnoxious character. But that's just our explanation. You know, mm-hmm. you don't get to decide if other people are offended by you. Well, yeah. yeah it's not like, oh, I didn't mean it, therefore mm-hmm. we're right. Like, no, mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know, mm-hmm. I, I apologize. I will try to refrain from using that. In the, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a catchphrase that is unfortunately burrowed well, into my brain a bit, but I'm going to try to write it out. It's it's not just a catchphrase. It was a line of dialogue from the show. It's oh, something Captain Picard had said. Um, he also but it says, became a catchphrase, yeah. and I'm gonna tr- I'm gonna try to erase that. I, mm-hmm. I'll, I hopefully I'll catch myself before I do it again. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for letting me know. Uh, he recommends a couple shows. Though we'll, we'll add to the list. They're all like uh, Doctor Who related. He also ah. says you should totally review the Weird Al show, uh, but get Weird Al on the show to talk about it afterwards. Oh yeah, let's just call let's just call good old Weird Al, yeah. Yeah, our best friend. Good, good friend. Al. You know he lives in L.A. He's nearby. Is he living in L.A.? He's he's, he's you know, he, lives, he lives somewhere off one of those, Sunset. Get yeah. one of those star maps. There and you just go. podcast outside and his just, house. Just knock on his door. I'm sure he'd love that. I'm sure he would. Yeah. <laughs> we know all your polkas by heart. Um, a, a friend of mine uh, who was doing his Boy Scout uh, service project was going from door to door in ritzy neighborhoods asking for donations. And uh, he was also selling like building supplies. And by coincidence, he walked up to Weird Al's house. So he knows where Weird Al's house is. Okay. Um we're, we're not going to ask. I, I didn't ask we're not because it ask. would be rude to. But, it's kind of funny that but he But he, he, he opened the door. He saw Weird Al. I was like, hey, wow, you're Weird Al. And, and you know, of course, Weird Al is like one of the most like gregarious, approachable people in the world. He's just yeah. a really, really nice guy. And he's like, yeah, I'm Weird Al. He's, you know, he, it'd be great. And, and of course, he's completely starstruck. And Weird Al actually offered an autograph. He's like, hey, could I sign something for you if you're raising money? He's like, yeah, here, sign this. We can maybe auction this off for charity. And then as he was walking away, it's like, well, thank you, Weird Al. This is really great. And um, yeah, keep on polking. And Weird Al said, please don't tell anyone I live here. That's like the last thing he said when he shut his door. So he's a nice, gregarious guy. He likes to talk to fans. He doesn't want people stalking him at his home. No, under- of course he doesn't. He understands what's going on. But we're, the, we're his biggest fans. We almost mm. were able to get him on a podcast once. Like we had, like he was doing a publicity thing. Yeah. We almost worked out. It did not. I was so bummed out. I really, yeah. that would have been, been a dream. But uh, we're we could do the Weird Al show. Yeah, it's it's it was one, one, one of our one of our uh, several people have requested it, and you can actually hear Weird Al, Weird Al doesn't talk about it a lot in public. People don't ask him about it a lot because it's just this failed show. It's kind of a, a bit of a obscure corner of his career. But he did commentary tracks for a lot of the episodes of the Weird Al show that what well, was released on DVD, and it's essentially just he and the crew flagellating themselves on the, the commentary <laughs> tracks, just sort of whipping themselves, saying "mea culpa, mea culpa," just kind of pointing out why the show doesn't work and why it's not funny and why it failed. Like, there's no fascination as to what they did or you know the, the shooting schedules. They were not enamored of this show. Yeah. Even Weird Al didn't like the Weird Al show, unfortunately. It, it happens sometimes. Yeah. Uh, here's, a, here's a letter from Paula. Hey, mm-hmm. guys. Hi, Paula. I found your podcast recently uh, completely by accident. I was listening to another podcast on the Schmo's No podcast feed mm-hmm. and happened to cost critically acclaimed, which quickly led me to cancel too soon. Mm-hmm. One episode in, and I was hooked. That was set on September 18th. It took me nearly a month of binge listening, but I've now heard all of the episodes that are available on iTunes. I'm not sure why, but I can't find your earliest episodes, 1 through 20, which was incredibly disappointing. I listened to the podcast in reverse order, and one of the best parts of this admittedly strange listening order has been the anticipation that built up as I heard you repeatedly reference some of the absurd shows you've already covered. Knowing that I had things like Cop Rock, Imaginary Mary, and especially the 100 Lies of Blackjack Savage to look forward to was such a treat, (laughs) and believe me, Blackjack Savage did not 
not disappoint. <laughs> One disappointment, though, was realizing that Crash Test Dummies was among the episodes that aren't available on iTunes. I wanted Aww. so badly to contribute even one extra download to this forgotten stepchild of an episode. <laughs> uh, if you're new to the show, our lowest rated episode ever, like the one no one clicked on, Aww. was our episode about the failed pilot for a Crash Test Dummies animated series. Which we did at my insistence, so this, it was all my fault. It was all Whitney's idea. Yeah. Like, I think that was the one where we were trying to, like, watch all of vinyl or some other longer show. And we yeah, needed so we needed, like, like, a stopgap, and I came up exactly with this Exactly like fast. what happened this week. Yeah. It happens. Uh, but seriously, thank you both for doing this wonderful podcast. I didn't grow up watching much TV for many years. The role in my house was, if it had commercials, we didn't watch it. Okay. Star Trek and the A-Team were the only exceptions I can remember. So this journey... Good exception. <laughs> Star so this Trek journey the into the failures of TV's past has been amusing and enlightening peak into all of the amazing crap that I missed. The fact that you both revel in the glorious cheese of it all just makes it that much easier to jump on board and celebrate these forgotten snippets of pop culture history. You're the best, your latest fan, Paula. No, you're the best. You're the best, Paula. And um, I, I wanted to make sure we read this letter, not because mm. it's very complimentary, although that is nice, thank uh. you, uh, but because, yeah, iTunes, I believe, only lists our most recent 100 episodes. And now that mm. we've cracked 100, some of the earlier ones are dropping off. And I want to make sure everyone knows where you can find them, because they are still online. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to watch some of our earliest episodes in which we review things like the Crash Test Dummies or Look Well or mm-hmm. uh, the very bizarre Blazing Saddles television series <laughs> that was produced so that they could never show it, mm-hmm. which is a huge, weird history, mm-hmm. um, those are available if you go to Libsyn. If you go to http colon backslash backslash canceled too soon, mm-hmm. cancel with one L, dot Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com, mm-hmm. all of our episodes are still there. They haven't gone anywhere. Yeah. But iTunes only puts out the most recent 100. So if you do want to listen to those episodes, they are on Libsyn. They are currently available. Um, and we hope you enjoy them. Because mm. uh, we certainly enjoyed putting them together. Yeah. Um, is that it? Or do well, we let's, have... let's do another one. Let's do one yeah, more. Yeah. We, don't, we don't do enough letters. Um, we don't. Here's an, a letter. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, well, after hearing the call out for what people do while listening to your podcast, and Whitney saying that if you're a pathologist to definitely get in touch I feel like I had to send in this little missive. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Does somebody listen to us while they're working on cadavers? That's great. That's um, amazing. Although I do work for the coroner attending homicides, suicides, and accidents, it's not there that I listen to you, fine gentlemen, but rather afterwards in my role as an embalmer wow. preparing the deceased for their funerals. Wow. I once listened to music but found that accidental movement to the rhythms could be counterproductive <laughs> and found that your combination of banter, information, occasional ranting tangents, and if you'll pardon the phrase, dissection of the of these too short a time in the world shows perfectly s- suits my listening needs. Uh, please no, no, find... Well, hold on, hold on. Just applaud that. Uh, that was well done. Okay, moving on. Uh, please find attached a copy of one of my embalming membership cards to help verify that I am in fact <laughs> telling you the truth, and equally that if you do do not say my actual name on air for an obvious reason, I would much appreciate then it. Then we shall dub mm. the Rock Broadstone. Is that a good name for a, an embalmer? Oh, I, I, um... um, um mm. Anyway, uh, he, he continues, I'm certain I'll be tubular able to... Tubular Tim. <laughs> Is he a surfer, surfing pathologist? Oh, tubes for the yeah. embalming. Oh, all right. Uh, I'm certain I'll be able to recognize myself in the glut of mortuary workers who must be writing in. Uh, <laughs> I have no specific new show to offer, but I must say I'm very much looking forward to the Heil Honey, I'm Home episode. I, uh, I do, however, have a potential winner for the fastest canceled show. Back in 1992, there aired on network television in Australia a version of the funniest home video show format, Australia's Naughtiest Home Videos, which was all the stuff too lewd for the regular show. The 
owner of the network and Australia's richest man, Kerry Packer, actually rang the station personally, yelling and swearing to get the show taken off the air mid-broadcast. <laughs> yeah, I've heard about this one. Yeah, that's pretty classic. Cancelled before they even finished the first episode. Love the show, gentlemen. Great work. Uh, thank and, you. And, there, and there's a picture of the mortuary tag. It's really that, terrific. That's amazing. Mm. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your hard work. Um, mm. I've I've become increasingly aware of like mortuary studies and mm. uh, the art of death, basically. Yeah, uh, the, the the industry and the sciences that go into death. Uh, Michelle, uh, my wife, who's been on the show before, and she was recently on critically acclaimed. She's really interested in all of that material, oh, and yeah. and she she informs me of all this fascinating stuff about it, and. Um, you know, it's something that makes me a little uncomfortable. I have a phobia of death, but like just mm. knowing that there are good people out there responsible taking, for taking all care this, of all that. Yeah, it's, I could never do it. Um, I respect the hell out of anyone who does a job that I'm just mm. like incapable of. It would fill uh, me with dread. I, I forgot the author's. I forgot her name, but um, there's a book out there called Stiff, which is all yeah. about that, about yeah. sort of the the the, in, the death industry. Yeah, and sort of the the things that need to be done with you and your body and your estate and all the things that you can't take care of anymore after you're dead. And it's it's very it's very it's actually very approachable. It's not grim or, or gl- gleefully morbid. Well, that's something I've had to learn is that death mm. doesn't have to be depressing or morbid. Oh, and it, but I, but in my death, head, it uh, is. That's, uh, that's the thing. That's, that's how I, I treat it. That's uh, why I want to die in a funny way. <laughs> <laughs> how did he how die? Do you, what, well, do you want to get an anvil on your head? Uh, or like? an anvil, uh, it's too cliche, a cow. <laughs> Crushed by a cow. crushed by a falling cow in a place where you wouldn't expect to find a cow. Mm. It's like he was inside. Like he was on in, the Eiffel Tower. He was inside a mall, and a cow somehow <laughs> fell on him. Yeah, uh, I would, and I'm just sitting there going, "Yeah, that's how I would have wanted to go." That's the dream. Uh, one of my chosen for- forms of death is I want there to be an explosion in a hardware store six miles away. <laughs> And a rotary saw comes arcing across downtown, like the wind catches it just the right way, and kerchunk, it just like, and I want to see it coming, like for just for a moment. <laughs> like, is that a rotary saw? Kerchunk, you know, that's that's how I want it to go. All right, well, and, and I want it to like stick out of my head, in, like a really comedic fashion. Now I know your preferences. I'm sure this information will be useful someday. <laughs> do you want to do one more? Yeah, let's do one All last right. one. Here's a letter from Michelle. A, cool. Ma- A. Michelle. Okay. Um, Hi, William and Whitney. I am a first-time listener and enjoyed your episode on Emily's Reasons Why Not. Yay! I actually worked on the pilot and as a background actor. Oh, that's amazing. I don't recall seeing the pilot when it aired, but I wasn't too surprised by the cancellation. I did read the book a few years before the pilot and at the time was quite excited to be a part of it. I worked on a, on a lot as an extra in 2005, and I got pretty good at predicting whether or not a pilot episode would end up being picked up. Incidentally, all of the pilots that I filmed with a chaotic set and a crappy crew tended to either not get picked up at all or had a limited run. Emily was not a show I ended up having high hopes for. I was part of a crowd scene during one of the Friends outings in Chinatown we filmed on location. What I remember is how overstylized the production was. It reminded me of the Mad Hatter Tea Party ride at Disneyland. The set was tea lanterns and bright colors, carts with vivid flowers, and everybody walking around definitely looked like they had brought in their clothes at the same hip- had bought their clothes at the same hipster store. If anything, it didn't resemble a Chinatown I've been to. I think Heather Graham and friends even had paper umbrellas, question mark. That's a little weird. That That pseudo-Asian style was very popular that year. I I think Penny's apartment in the Big Bang Theory as well. Mm. What little dialogue I heard from the actors during filming didn't seem to pop. The actors also appeared to be rather subdued. The crew on the set was okay, but... I had a minor interaction with the wardrobe crew. It might not mean anything, but it's interesting to note that many pilots that year seem to have, quote, 
difficult wardrobe crews. Huh. Unusual. Yeah. Um, the pilots that tended not to get picked up or only ran for a handful of episodes had the worst ones. On another pilot, not picked up, the wardrobe crew was so condescending to background actors that it made one actor cry over the tights she was wearing, that an- and another lodged a complaint with the union on behalf of all union and non-union actors i showed up on the emily set wearing a pink top and the wardrobe was all a flutter because heather graham was also wearing a pink top no. and they didn't want me to be so featured i also have long blonde hair and blue eyes yeah. after what felt like more time than the pro- the problem deserved a new shirt was given to me to wear and they seemed rather put out by the selection of clothes i had brought with me i guess i wasn't technically hip enough for the show The second scene we shot was an exterior of a building somewhere in Atwater Village, maybe Silver Lake, as I recall. We were just passers-by to whatever scene with Emily was being shot inside of the building. I was on hold for a yoga scene late in the afternoon and ended up not being needed, but I remember being set up in the park nearby with Heather in yoga pants stretching on the grass. So she got to do yoga with Heather Graham. The whole tone of the show I was there seemed rather too mellow. Nothing struck me as, this is really funny or quirky or I'll watch this. <laughs> well, I, you were there. You have the first, first-hand knowledge. Uh, anyway, your podcast episode brought back memories. Someday I'll have to watch the pilot and see if I'm even visible, pink shirt or no, Michelle. Uh, P.S. The one pilot this year that made the most impact on me uh, and I knew was going to be a hit was How I Met Your Mother. There you go. Um, yeah, that's uh, an interesting sort of insider baseball look at that. Mm. Um I'd love to hear it if you were, like, sort of involved in a show. Were you in the wardrobe department? Why are you so terrible to the background actors? Uh, yeah, I, I guess, uh, I'm not sure. I would love to also hear a story if, like, a, a film or a, a TV pilot had a really troubled production and it ended up being in a hit anyway. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess um, I've heard that before. Like, if you're working on a play or you're working on a TV show or you're working on a film and everybody's angry and pissed off. It rarely comes out to be like a gem or some really important piece of work. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Great. Thank, thank you thank, for your letter. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for your work. Uh, you know, background mm-hmm. acting is a, it's a hard gig. Yeah. You, know, you have to be believable mm-hmm. and earnest without ever being distracting. And mm-hmm. that's, that's tough. Um, so listen, everybody, thank you for writing in again. You can email us, uh, cancel too soon mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Remember cancel too soon always has one L in it. Yes. Uh, we also are at Patreon, patreon.com slash canceled too soon and there mm-hmm. you can get exclusive bonus content including this week we have a episode of the cancel too soon monthly movie in which we review tv movies and miniseries mm-hmm. the cancel too soon monthly movie uh this month is i'm dangerous tonight <laughs> directed by texas chainsaw massacres toby hooper starring machin and mick from twin peaks anthony perkins and d wallace d wallace and from et and arlie ermy as well yeah and it is about a haunted dress that's all. That's all you need. Uh, but it's actually a lot of fun, and yeah. it's really quite quite campy, and mm-hmm. I think you'll have a good time with it. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with Kolchak the Night Stalker. Well, we'll have it, we'll have it done by then, for we, sure. We promise. We uh, hope everyone is having a safe and wonderful Halloween. Uh, this is the second-to-last Scary-tober of the year, so already getting a little wistful. Oh, Halloween hasn't come yet. Get excited. Yay! We've got like two weeks to Halloween. we got plenty of time. That's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season.